every day I would come home from work about 10, 15 in the morning after my morning show was done. And I would drive up to Cole's school and park my car. I would crouch down and then I would watch from the driver's seat. I would watch as the recess bell went off and Cole would run outside and run over to the picnic bench. There he would sit alone and he would just watch the other kids play. My heart melted. I called over teachers and asked them to go see if he was okay, and they would. And they would always come back and say, he's completely fine. And I'd feel like an idiot and drive away. I would also ask other parents to get their kids to play with Cole at recess. And those kids did as well. But eventually, Cole would wander off and hang out alone by the picnic bench. I also had another son. His name is Bo. This little guy at the time was in junior kindergarten. He was only four years old, turning five. His recess was in a fenced-in area that allowed him to see all the other kids in the school playing, but nobody could access him. That's how the kindergartens worked. My little four-year-old is incredibly social. He knew everyone's name in kindergarten. He's always the loudest in the car. He's the ringleader, and at the small age of four, he could see his seven-year-old brother from a distance alone at the picnic table. As I sat in the car and watched all this from afar, my youngest boy got four or five other boys in kindergarten to scream as loud as they could, Call! 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 Cole turned quickly, saw his little brother Bo calling him, and Cole ran as fast as he could over to that fence where Bo was playing with all the little kids. Cole and Bo spoke together for the entire 15 minutes of recess. From that point on, Cole would run outside as soon as the bell rang at recess, and he would run over to the kindergarten fence. The teachers caught on. Soon they would look for Bo and call him over and say, Bo, your brother's here looking for you. Cole started playing with the kids in the kindergarten from the other side of the fence, and Bo sacrificed every single recess standing at that fence to make sure his brother was okay. This is Love and Special Needs. This episode is called Siblings, Empathy, and the Protector. And today, I want to focus a little bit on my boy, Bo, my five-year-old now, who has sacrificed more than any child should have to sacrifice. I have two children, as I mentioned. My five-year-old, he's currently five. He is loud, characteristic traits, um, outgoing. He's a ham. He likes to think for himself. He's a comic. He's incredibly self-confident. And he's a smart kid. And then I have another child, my seven-year-old Soto's child, Cole. Caring, empathetic, lovable, shy, not as confident, but has the most incredible imagination. This year, I have found myself a little worried about their relationship. And I've made it part of my mission, much like teaching them math or teaching English, I've made it part of my mission to make sure that they always have a bond together. And this is difficult, and this is where you need rules. So I want to tell you a little bit about my rules. I have two of them. The first one is about empathy. So we've always taught kids how not to be bullies. We teach them to respect each other and to be kind. But how? If you have a small boy like me, like my son Bo, he's funny. His whole thing is that he wants to tell jokes. He's hilarious. At this age, all he cares about is making people laugh. That's it. You put him with some older kids. He tells them a joke. 
he listens to hear if they laugh. When they don't laugh, he finds another joke. He keeps going until he finds one that makes them laugh. So this is where you have to start to set the boundaries. You have to teach them like you're teaching a class. So Bo is five. Bo likes poo jokes, okay? Um, I'll sit him down and I'll do this daily and I'll say, okay, Bo, tell me an appropriate joke. And he does it. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But I say to him, okay, a man walked down the road and found poo on the shoe on his shoe and he ate it. I know like this is the kind of humor we're talking about, but this is what Bo likes. So Bo laughs. I said, sure, that's funny. It's funny because it's not someone with a distinct name. It's like a common noun, I guess you could say. If you were to say our neighbor Pete walked down the road and found poo in his shoe and ate it, and then Bo starts laughing, I said, no, that's not funny. You're actually, that's being incredibly mean to somebody. So then we go into my brother Cole peed the bed. Is that funny? And Bo starts laughing again. I said, no, that's not funny. I know you like to laugh about pee and poo, but as long as it can't be associated with someone. That is really, really a difficult task for a five-year-old to understand. I don't think kids ever mean to be cruel. I think that what kids love is getting the laugh. They love the attention. That's what they love. And my little guy, Bo, is the sweetest, kindest, most perfect kid. But he makes fun of his brother without realizing he's doing it. So I make it my mission daily to give examples of what is funny and what isn't funny. Why? Because my five-year-old, he wants to make people laugh. So that's the first part. And I think that's incredibly difficult. And I think that's not taught in classes. You're just taught, oh, you have to be nice to people. But you're also not taught, hey, you, just because you get a laugh out of somebody doesn't mean it's appropriate. So rule number two, to be the protector. It's fortunate and unfortunate that my little five-year-old has to be put in this role. Um, he's good at it. Well, he's not completely good, but he, he will be good. <laughs> it will make him good at it one day. So how to protect your brother. I have three phrases that I have on my chalkboard and this, these are for Bo to see. Number one, that's not funny. Number two, don't be a bully for some reason. And I know why bully is a trigger word for every child. And number three, I'm not playing unless my brother can play too. To be a sibling of a child with special needs, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of sacrifice. Let's start with the sacrifice. You don't get the attention ever. You just don't. We try. We try so hard, but it's not like the attention your sibling gets. When we think of education, the first thing we think of is the child with a disability. How is the child with a disability going to fit in? When we think of vacations, we think, where can we go if we need medical? Where can we go that's safe enough for my child? When we have extracurricular activities, we think, where will our child with a disability work? Where will it work? We have tried baseball. Bo absolutely loved it. My youngest, Cole, he didn't even want to show up to the field, so we had to quit. When there's a pandemic and everyone else is in school, it's not just one of your children. It's not in school. It's both of your kids that are not in school. And instead, you make a pot in your basement like I have with four other kids from the neighborhood so they all feel included. But most of them are Cole's age because, oh, but we'll fit in. Bo's only in kindergarten. I feel like I've said Bo's only so many times in my life. Bo will be fine. 
sometimes I feel like I'm in a movie and Bo is learning to walk for the first time, but Cole hasn't done it yet. So as Bo goes to stand up, I'm like the TV mom that goes and pushes him down. Don't, don't do that because your brother has to do it first. No, that never happened. But that's how I feel. That's my analogy for almost everything. This is the sacrifice that Bo makes every single day. He doesn't get the attention for it. He's the second thought. He's everyone's second thought. And it's not fair. I have so many things to tell you on this podcast. I don't think I have the time to do it. Um, But I want to have other people speak as well. I've met a few incredible moms and they all have different circumstances. Pamela is here with us from Saskatchewan, although doesn't sound like someone from Saskatchewan. Um, and her youngest is a Sotos child, and her oldest, who is six, has she has an oldest, an older daughter. So it's a little different from me. Okay, so um, yeah, I have two daughters. My oldest is six. Um, she was five when her little sister was born, Morvin, and Morvin is my daughter with Sotos syndrome. And she was diagnosed the day before her first birthday. Um, it wasn't like a huge, like, I feel like I wasn't hugely surprised by it because um, I felt like there was something, um, something wasn't right. And I knew something wasn't right. Um, and everyone kept saying to me, everything's fine, everything's fine. She's, she's just a normal baby and she'll catch up and I was like yeah I know she's like there's something mums know I think mums know um and our home situation is good um we're we're lucky in that um we can work from home and and we're here with the girls and we have a lot of friends support uh we don't have any family here uh, everyone's in Scotland but um you know we make it work it is hard work. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It is hard work. Um, and this is my first real experience with special needs as well. So it's been an eye who's the big sister. She helps so much. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the things that was really playing on my mind was uh, we're a pretty open family. Like we talk about everything because it's just us here, this unit. So we share everything, right? Um, so I wanted to be really careful in the way that I explained it to Jeannie like what is happening with Morvin and why she's always at the doctor and has all these appointments and and also so that she's maybe a bit more thoughtful in her um interactions with her you know so uh that was one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about today because when we were diagnosed with it and we were in the geneticist office the geneticist's office that was hard to say um she had the counsellor in there and I don't know if you had a counsellor available to you um yeah so she left us with her for a while and one of my main questions was well is there any support in explaining this to siblings um because I really want to make sure I do a good job of that um and she actually had some really good advice she was like I think like trickling information is probably the best way to go and then when I was thinking about it, I was talking to my husband about it. And he was like, yeah, it's kind of like when you're at school and you learn about, say, World War II and you hear there's a war. And then later on, you hear some people died. And then later on, you hear more specifics. And later on, you're like, a fellow, I was like an adult. I was in my 20s when I learned about concentration camps, things like that, right? It's like, as you get older, you're able to understand more and more. So 
we try to really break that down. Such a weird analogy. I don't know where, why we went there. Um, but it, it worked for us in kind of understanding how to, how to do this. So with Jeannie, we started just saying, well, remember, she, Morvin was in the hospital for a long time and she was very sick and they were trying to understand what was wrong or, um, you know, she has a lot of doctor's appointments because she needs a bit extra help with things and we we're just kind of trying to break those things down to her. And then eventually it got to a point where we were like, she understood and we could say, you know, she has a, a diagnose, diagnosis and it's Soto syndrome and Jeannie was very accepting of it, but it took a while to get there. I mean, it's been six months to get to the point where we said that. And actually, I feel like storytelling really helped a lot with us doing that. We read a lot at home anyway. Um, and there's one particular book that we read all the time and it's all short stories about, it's a feminist book, it's called Rebel Girls. And um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but one of the stories is about uh, one of the little girl, oh, she's a, a woman now, she's an actress and she was in Glee, the girl with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's her story. And I got to the end of it and I was just like, this is a really good opportunity for me to say to Jeannie, this is very similar to Morvan and how she's different. And um, we had this really wonderful conversation and it was only a few weeks ago now like maybe a month ago and she was so receptive to it and it was fantastic and at the end of the book you write your own story and Jeannie wrote a story about Morvan at the in the back of the book and it was just so special so nice it's so nice hey Jeannie would you like to read your story about Morvan yeah okay Morvan was different Morvin had diagnosis. It is really rare. Morvin was special. I am her big sister. I will always look after her. That's really nice. Thank you. That was so sweet. Thank you. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Sister's Keeper. We've been talking a lot about movies in this podcast. Um, this is about a young girl who actually looks for a lawyer to help to earn uh, emancipation from her parents when they force her to donate organs and blood and tissue for her uh, sister who has leukemia. I remember watching that movie and thinking, oh my God, what? that's horrible. And I always wanted to have two children. Always. No matter what, I always wanted to have two kids. That's just the way it was. But when I got my diagnosis for Cole, I did speed up that process. I'll admit it. I did. Uh, Probably about three weeks after I got the diagnosis, I looked at my husband. I said, we need to try to have another child because if something ever happens to you or I, we need to have somebody else around for Cole. That's That's just the way it needs to be. I guess I told you about the Sister's Keeper because it was such a foreign concept to me when I didn't have a child with special needs. But once you have a child first with special needs, you realize that you will do almost anything for them, even if it means, hey, you're not ready to have a second child yet. You'll just, you'll be ready because you want to make sure that your child has someone close in age to them. And it doesn't always work out that way. And I get that. But I think if I have any advice for anybody, it would be, to find family. And it's easier said than done. Like we just spoke to Pamela who's living in Saskatchewan and her parents are in Scotland, but it doesn't just have to be your, your parents. It doesn't have to be your sister. It can also be your sister's kids. And that's why I want to introduce one of the most 
special, beautiful girls I've ever met. Her name is Julia. She's my niece. She's 14. She's been like this since she was born. Just one of the most empathetic people I have ever met. You know, she would do anything for Cole. She would allow him to move into her house when she's older. Um, She would, you know, I've seen her at a 14 years of age when her friends are all doing something. She'll sacrifice going out to be with Cole. She will drop all of her friends on Fortnite to play with Cole. I want to introduce you to her and hear what she has to say about Cole. So Cole is my cousin, but most of the time he feels a lot more like a brother. Most of my friends have cousins who, if not all my friends actually, have cousins who they're not really close with, that they only get to see a few times a year when their families would get together. But with Cole and Bo, I'll see them all the time and play Fortnite with them almost every other night. And I'm so glad and I'm only now really realizing how lucky I am to have that. That's why I say and treat Cole like siblings because I feel like I'm close enough with him and care about him more than enough to be able to say I'll always be here for him and would never do anything to help him if he needed my help. You know, I see the anxiety that Cole has in so many ways. Like, even just the little things, if we're at the cottage together and he needs to make sure his food is cut the right way or is made the way he needs it, especially when it comes to school, like, we'll just be talking about it and he'll try and shy away from the subject or avoid it, but he never really can. Um, But when it does come to school, I really do worry about Cole. That's probably one of the things I worry most about him because he's an amazing person. I know he can do anything he puts his mind to. But some kids can be mean. I've been in classes with them my entire life. But I do know that all Cole needs is a little group of friends he can count on. And that can take the time to realize how amazing he is. Like, just the other day, I was walking with my best friend, Ali. Um, I live right by, like, um, an elementary school. And we saw a group of younger kids just in the playground, probably around Cole's age, maybe a little younger. But they were just fighting and, like, running around, chasing each other, screaming. And we were talking about how some kids can just be so mean and annoying. And she says to me, like, Cole's nothing like that. He's so sweet. I, I, I'm, I worry about him in school because of kids, kids like that. But I do know that Cole will grow up and have an amazing wife or, or husband uh, and hopefully get a great job that he loves and we can live on the same street. He told me that yesterday. He goes, you know, Julia, I really want to live on the same street with you. We're going to live on the same street. We'll have so much fun. But, you know, if he ever needed me, um, I know Bo, Len, and I will always be there for him, guaranteed. In the rare case he ever just needed a bed to sleep in or just a spot in my house, it will always be there for him. That is Julia, um, my 14-year-old niece. You know, they have days for National Ice Cream Day, National, I don't know, Pizza Day. They have every single day in the entire year. You would think that they should have a day for siblings of children who have special needs. You would think. And I'm going to try my very, very best to make my son Bo, um, to make him feel special and to make him feel like he has a voice and to make him do, to figure out ways to allow him to do things that he doesn't usually get to do. I guess we should end it with a little audio of Bo because I, I really, this is all I wanted to say um, I know that there's a lot of people who have a child with Soto syndrome, which is what my boy has, and they're contemplating on whether or not to have a sibling. 
I mean, for me, it was the best thing I ever, ever did for Cole because Cole is a unique kid. And it's not necessarily that kids don't want to play with him. And most of it is that he doesn't want to play with other kids. And that's because of his anxiety. He feels anxious around children he doesn't know very well. He knows his brother. So instead of him sitting by himself on the picnic bench, um, you know, Bo is there for him. And, uh, and that's the beautiful thing about this. Bo, when you're older, who are you going to live with? Cole, Lennon, and Julia. Who are they? Our, my brother and my cousins. Who's going to sleep in the same bed as you? Lennon, and Julia, and Cole. What is going to be your job? I won't have a job. Who's going to make all the money? Me and Cole and Julia. And What's Cole going to do? <clears throat> He's to make sure everybody goes to the washroom. See? Got to end with a poo joke.